Father God in heaven, we praise you. We praise you that you have gathered us together as your family. We praise you that you have spoken to us through your word in the Holy Scriptures. We pray that you would speak to us now by your Holy Spirit as we open up Psalm 110. Lord, if there's anything here that is of you, please, would it be remembered and would it be useful for uh, the strengthening and the comfort of, of the church family here? If there's anything that is of me, please, would it be forgotten? In Jesus' name, amen. If a horse could believe in God, it would believe that God is a horse. That is uh, the argument used against the existence of God or of gods that, that, uh, that the gods that people worship tend to be just like them. That it's whatever I'm like, whatever I imagine God would be, that, that my God always agrees with what I already think. And he's basically just there to serve me. And that kind of view is, is still pretty popular today, isn't it? I like to think that God is, is like this kind of thinking. There's an interesting video that I saw on YouTube uh, this week called, What Do You Think That God Is Like? And um, the, the man uh, doing making the video went around uh, the different people on the street. He'd go up to them and stick a microphone in their face and say, what do you think that God's like? And uh, they got all sorts of answers. Some of them would say he's, you know, he's pretty cool. Some would say, I don't think he's, he's really real. He's just a fairy tale uh, made up to make children behave. Um, and someone would say, well, he's something that, that's very good for everyone, you know. And then he would get every answer in between that. How about we look at the video afterwards? But I wonder, how would you answer that question? If someone said to you, what do you think God is like? What would you say? Or what do you like to think that God is like? How would you answer that? Interestingly, on the video, no one said, I like to think that God is going to crush me in his righteous anger. Sometimes, you see, we tend to think that God is like a horse. That he's just like us. Or that he thinks like us. Or that he's there to serve us and to make our lives better. We sort of project what we already think onto God. And then if that conception of God is challenged, well, that makes us feel very uncomfortable indeed. It's like when we think about God crushing his enemies in his wrath. Now, today's passage, today's Psalm 110 and, and Revelation 19, that as they were being read, I wonder how did you feel? Perhaps slightly uncomfortable with that kind of language. But actually, what we're going to see in this psalm, it's, it's really good news. Because it's good news that God isn't like us. It's good news that God isn't a horse. It's certainly good news that God's not like me. Because his anger is not like our anger, when we hear about God's anger and his wrath and his judgment and things like that, we tend to think of the way we get angry, the way we kind of fly off the handle and, and go over the top. But actually what we'll see is that God's anger is not like ours. Because yes, God is going to crush his enemies, but he also makes a way for them to be forgiven. See, what I want us to see from this psalm uh, today is that Jesus' victory is certain, that his enemies will be crushed, but those who trust in his priesthood are saved. 
you'll have a little sheet, um, a little yellow sheet, which will help you follow along and uh, to check if I'm keeping to time and to check if I've got an hour left or, or how long. Um, and the first heading on there is that you'll, you will share in the Lord's victory. You will share in the Lord's victory. There are two prophecies from God in this psalm. You'll, let's look down at verse 1. You'll see the first one there. It says, Of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord. That's the kind of thus says the Lord language that's used all throughout the Old Testament to say, yes, this is going to be a prophecy from God. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is a psalm of David, as we read. He's the king of Israel, and he talks about how the Lord is speaking to someone who's going to be his Lord, a Lord to whom David's going to bow down, the king of Israel. A Lord whose scepter, the Lord God, will extend from Zion over all of his enemies, over the whole earth. A Lord who will, who will ride out on the, his day of battle with armies willing to offer themselves to his service. A Lord who will be arrayed in majestic holiness. And that Lord is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. See, look again at, at verse 1. It's Jesus who's currently seated at the Father's right hand. And from there, he'll return. Look at verse 2. Jesus' rule will be extended over the whole earth as the gospel goes out and people brought into his kingdom. And finally, when he comes back, he will crush his enemies and rule his people. Again at verse 3. Jesus' armies will be willing on his day of battle. They'll ride out behind him. Remember Revelation 19, the rider on the white horse, and who was following him? The armies of heaven, seated on, the right, on, on their white horses in fine linen, white and clean. The language that's used of the church. The church is following Jesus out to his victory. They're sharing in the, in the Lord's victory on his day of battle. Anyone who's in Christ will share in the Lord's victory. And that's such good news. That's such good news. Here's how this applies to us, or this is what I was thinking about when I, I was reading this psalm. It, that I know that being a Christian, being in Christ, being in the Lord's army, well, you can feel like actually you're not very victorious. You can feel like a loser a lot of the time. And I know that. I work for the church. I mean, people look at the church and think, oh, what a bunch of losers, eh? And I know that the fight is hard. I know that things have happened to the people in this room that makes us think, well, does this really work? Is the king, the Lord that I'm following, really going to be victorious? Or it seems that his enemies are so much more powerful than him. Is, is being a Christian really worth it? It's like when your, your marriage is hard and your spouse says to you, you know, I think we just need to take a break from this. Or when you've, you've had that long-term illness, it's just, it's not going away. Perhaps it's even uh, terminal. Or when you can't find work. Or when you're totally miserable in the job that you're in. Or when you fall into sin, despite resisting it and fighting hard against it for so long, you just give in to temptation. Or when a loved one dies, is being in Jesus' army really worth it? Is, is, are we really going to be victorious over all those things? Well, yes. 
the Lord's victory is secure. Brothers and sisters, we are on uh, the winning team. Know that our Lord will be victorious and we will ride out with him on that day to watch his victory. Just think about what that's going to be like. Look at at verse 3. Let's think about that. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. We'll be following him out. We'll be, we'll be there, just loving it, right falling behind him. He'll be arrayed in holy majesty. Imagine the king standing there in all of his glory. Imagine that description of him from Revelation 19 in a robe dipped in blood with the sharp sword um, coming from his mouth. From the womb of the dawn, you'll receive the dew of your youth. Just picture the king. The sun's coming up behind him. It's breaking over him. It's glistening on him. The dew is there. He's, he's looking youthful and strong and powerful. And as we, we see him, we're watching death be destroyed. We're, see, we're seeing him doing battle with Satan and binding him and throwing him in uh, to the lake of fire. We're seeing sin put to the sword. We're seeing that we'll no longer be tempted. We'll no longer fall into sin and disobey God. So when, when you feel like a loser, well, think about that. Think about our Lord's victory in battle and press on towards that goal of being there, being that willing troop. Yes, it's, it's going to be hard, but keep on fighting. Why would anyone not want to be part of this amazing victory, which is so assured? Well, hopefully there are some thinking, well, you know where else? I want to be there. Yeah, I, I want to be there. I want to be there to watch the king win this battle. I want to be there to see my Lord, to ride out behind him. But actually, by nature, none of us deserve to be there. In fact, not only do we not deserve to be following, out the, following the Lord out, we deserve to be on the other side, facing off against this king. We see the good news is that anyone can join Jesus' army because we have a priest who works for us, a priest who, who forgives us and gets us in. That's the next heading on your sheets. You're forgiven by the work of the priest. Before I came uh, to work for the church, um, I considered a career in the military. That, all that kind of thing appeals to me. You know, this, this language really appeals to me. I, I thought about joining the Royal Marines because my uncle had been, in a Marine, had been a Marine, and I thought I could do a bit of that, you know. And so I looked up the entrance requirements uh, to join the Marines, and they are pretty rigorous. And that's an understatement. They are, they are massively rigorous. Um, to apply to be a Royal Marines commando, you must be aged between 16 and 32. So that rules out most of us in this room already. You, I could still get in, but anyway. You, you must not have asthma. You must not require any regular prescription medication. You must not be below five foot tall. Sorry, Andy. You must not weigh less than 65 kilograms. I had to get one more in. You must not weigh less than 65 kilograms. You must be a national of the UK or Ireland. Sorry, Americans. You must have a clean criminal record. You must have no visible or offensive uh, tattoos or piercings. And you know those horrible old flesh tunnels? Those are strictly forbidden. You cannot have any of those. You must also be able, this is the one that gets me, you must also be able to run 4.8 kilometers in under 22 and a half minutes. So that's me out. That's a consistent rate of about nine miles per hour, which is about as fast as I can drive. So I'll be out. And all of that 
is, is not to get into the Marines, it's to get into the training program for the Marines. They're then consistently assessed throughout the training program down at Limpston, and there are various benchmarks that you've got to make. You've got to get better and better from that starting position. Otherwise, well, you get given the boot. It's back to Civvy Street. They only want the best of the best in the Royal Marines, don't they? And people tend to think that the church is like that as well. They think that, that, that being in Jesus' army is like that. You can only join if you're the best of the best. They look at the Ten Commandments on the wall behind me like this, and they think that's the list of entrance requirements to the training program. And then once you're in, if there are any slip-ups, well, back out the door again. And that kind of thinking is, is pretty scary. Because actually, as we look at that list, none of us have, have made the grade. None of us can look at those entry requirements on, on the wall and say, yep, I've kept all those commands. Even today, even if it was judged on today, I wouldn't make the grade. But we've got someone who gets us in. Not because, not because we've fulfilled all the requirements, but because, because he has, has. He has kept all those commandments. He has paid the cost of entry for us. He is the priest that we need. Look at verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. This is the second prophecy. I said there were two prophecies from God. This is the Lord swearing again. He's speaking again. And he's not going to change his mind. He's not going to say, okay, you can get in, but it's a limited time offer. You can only respond up to this point and then, sorry, you've missed your chance. No, it's forever. The Lord has sworn he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, this, this chap, Melchizedek, he crops up a few times in the Bible. First of all, we see him um, in Genesis when he meets Abraham and uh, he blesses Abraham. And we find out he's the king of Salem. His name means uh, the king of peace. And uh, Abraham gives him a whole load of his stuff. And then he crops up again here in Psalm 110, where we find out that the, this Lord is going to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then he crops up again in the verses that we read in Hebrews, um, where we find out that, that the, the Lord who is coming, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to be a priest forever in Melchizedek's line. Now, why is that important for us? Well, if you think in the Old Testament, I'm sure you'll know that the priest would stand daily offering sacrifices for the sins of the people. And you'd have to do it every day. It would, be, it would be a mess, a bloody mess, as he slaughters animals and sprinkles blood and, and burns the, the, the bits and pieces. And he had to do that every day because people were constantly sinning. They would sin again. They'd go to the priest and say, oh, I've done it again. I need, I need, to, need another sacrifice. But actually, this priest, this priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, he offered a sacrifice once for all. He offered himself to pay for our sins. It was the perfect sacrifice from the perfect priest to save a thoroughly imperfect people. And that's Jesus. Jesus is able to save completely anyone who comes to God through him because Jesus is the priest that we need. So rest assured, brothers and sisters, there is no work left 
for us to do to gain entrance into the Lord's army. I know that, that some of you are, are trusting in Jesus, but struggle with thinking, have I, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Have I quite made it? Am I going to get kicked out at any point? Am I going to be there on the last day following the, the, the rider on the white horse, or am I going to be lined up against him? But actually, I, I say this to the pathfinders a lot, and they, they, you can ask them about this afterwards. But if you are a Christian, you are a, a perfect Christian because the Lord, the priest, has made you perfect. He's given you his perfection. Now, there's still, there's still uh, work to do in becoming more and more like the priest, but not to get into the army, not to get into the Lord's army. He has paid it all for you. He's done it all. And he always lives to intercede for us. You saw that on the top of your service sheets, didn't you? He's always there. He's always working for us and with us and interceding for us. So when you're finding the fight hard, when you feel like a loser and you've, you've stumbled into sin again, you think maybe God's going to kick me out, well, know that the forever priest Lord, he's on your side. He's fighting hard with you because he's paid for you. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to give you back. But what about those who remain opposed to the Lord? What about the army that's amassing on the other side, the one we heard about in Revelation 19? Because what this psalm tells us is you're either for Jesus or you're against him. You've either accepted the Lord or you've rejected the Lord. There's no middle ground with this. There's no, there are no civilians in this war. Well, Jesus' victory is so assured that anyone opposed to the king is crushed. Anyone to oppose to the Lord is crushed. That's the last um, heading on your handouts there. Now, at the beginning of, of the sermon this morning, I said, this is good news for us. And these verses are, are hard. Let me read them again for us just to remind us. It says, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way Therefore, he will lift up his head. It's difficult to see how those verses are good news. This is the Lord, the priest, in his righteous anger, crushing nations, heaping up the dead. These are the words which make us a bit uncomfortable. Well, here's how these are good news for us. It means that the Lord is going to bring justice that those who are guilty will be rightly punished. So, for example, if someone has stolen your, your finances, your financial details, and they've emptied your bank account, well, they don't get away with that. Or when someone breaks into your home, they don't get away with that. When, when someone abuses a child and it's covered up, they don't get away with that. When a man rapes a woman... He doesn't get away with that. The Lord brings justice by crushing his enemies. And that is good news. That is something to, be, to rejoice in. 
Yes, to rejoice. We've been forgiven because we deserve by nature to be crushed by God. But it's good news that God will bring justice for all the wrongdoing that we see around the world. It was right when when Julian prayed earlier for our enemies to pray for those who are are still facing God's wrath, that they they would meet the priest and be forgiven. That was the right thing to pray for. But this is the justice of God, and it is good news. Do you see who, who, does, who executes the justice? Look at verse 5. It says, the Lord is at your right hand. You see that's not in capitals. So it's, it's a different word for Lord than the word meaning Lord God. It's a different word. The Lord um, is the one. It's the, the one, the Lord priest, the forever Lord priest that we've been looking at. It's Jesus who's at God's right hand, who's coming to crush the kings, who's coming to bring his wrath and heap up the dead. It's Jesus who is the Lord of justice. It's Jesus Christ who will crush the rulers of the whole earth. No one can stand against him. And by nature, we all deserve to be there and to be, to be crushed too. And it's only because of the mercy of the priest that we won't be. And you remember from Revelation 19 that that it's not us who does the fighting it's not the armies who followed the 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 lord out on the horse it was the the king himself who strikes down the nations with the sword from his mouth it's the king who binds satan and throws him in um, to the the fiery sulfur it's the king who treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of god it's jesus who heaps up the dead so that the birds come and gorge themselves on their flesh. Just think about that image for a moment. And here's a word for those who aren't following this king, who aren't following this Lord. Is that where you want to be? On top of the pile, being pecked at by the birds? Because anyone who's not part of the Lord's army will be crushed in this way. It means if you're not trusting in Jesus for salvation, you will be crushed. And it will be awful. You do not want to be there on that day. You'll be trampled in the wine press. You'll be struck down by the king's words. You'll be crushed by his scepter. The birds will gorge themselves on your flesh. It wouldn't be loving of me not to warn you that hell is going to be a terrible place to be. Is that where you want to be? Because if you've rejected this Lord, then that is what is in store. And if you're offended by that, if that makes you uncomfortable, then I'm sorry, well, perhaps you think that that God is a horse. Perhaps you've become too used to the Christmas card version of Jesus. So please turn to the Lord Jesus. Trust in the Lord Jesus. Trust in the work that he has done for you. Those of you who are here and and you know you haven't accepted Jesus, you're just here, uh, maybe you're here because someone has invited you, Maybe you've been coming here for years and you've just been sort of playing at being a Christian on a Sunday, but haven't really been taking Jesus seriously. Maybe you're here to get your kids into a good school. Turn to Jesus. 
Accept the work that Jesus the priest has done on your behalf and run to him for salvation because it is found in no one else. He is the priest that we need. He is the one who can save you completely and bring you into his army. C.S. Lewis sums this up quite well, I think, in the Chronicles of Narnia. You know the Chronicles of Narnia? Probably the most famous ones, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, and the children are speaking to, to Mr. Beaver about Aslan, the lion. And Mr. Beaver says to them, Aslan is a lion. He's the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. He's the king. See, Jesus Christ is that lion. He's not safe in the way we'd like to think him to be in that he'll just brush over all the wrongdoing in the world. He's the lion who will crush his enemies. But he's good. He's the Lord. He is the priest that we need. He's the one who's offered the perfect sacrifice to God for those who will trust in him. He's the one who makes a way for us to be forgiven, to not have to face off against God's armies. He's good. He's the Lord. Why would anyone not want to follow this Lord into battle? So there's the comfort for us today. There's the good news for us today. That his head is going to be lifted up in victory. That he, after he's finished the fight, rest eternal is there for all those who follow him. That those who trust in Jesus are forgiven and are in his army. That the victory is secure. Let's take a moment just to consider what we've seen from God's word today. And then I'll pray. O Lord, our God, our Father God in heaven, we are sorry that we have rejected you. We have not kept your commands. By nature, we are your enemies. We're facing off against your Son, Jesus. But we praise you, Lord God, that you have sworn and will never change your mind that your son Jesus is the priest we need. That you have accepted the perfect sacrifice for sin that he offered once for all. Father, we praise you that, that in him we are secure. That his victory is assured and that we share in that victory. Lord God, lift up our heads as you lifted up your son Jesus's. Help us to look to that day. Help us to trust the promise of his assured victory and to persevere until the end. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.